This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Plenty to get to today. I'll be joined in just a little bit by Wes Walls, former Wild player, now Wild broadcaster on Bally Sports North. Had a great conversation with him. Gets you set up for Game 7, Wild versus Vegas tonight, 8 p.m. Wes was a member of the 2003 Wild team that won two Game 7s on the road. Both of those series, they rallied from 3-1 deficits to win the whole series. And he had a lot of great insights, not only about this year's team, but some great stories about 18 years ago as well. So looking forward to that conversation. Hope you guys enjoy it as well. Also talk a little bit about the Heat. Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler on the brink of elimination against the Milwaukee Bucks and what that might mean one year after going to the NBA Finals in the bubble. But first, what did I miss? A little something different today. Want to see if you saw this story the other day because it's it's kind of baseball's dirty little secret, and maybe not even that much of a secret. Baseball's dirty open open secret, let's call it. Um, game between the Cardinals and the White Sox. Joe West, umpire, comes out and asks Cardinals relief pitcher Giovanni Gallegos to change his glove. He just come into the game. Relief pitcher asked him to change his glove because he said he spotted some sunscreen on it. Now sunscreen is being used apparently widely across the league in, in addition to uh, in addition to rosin and, and other substances to uh, to affect spin rate you know other movement on the ball there's special mixes everything like that so he makes him change his glove Mike Schilt the uh, Cardinals manager comes out he's he's livid gets ejected um, not so much mad specifically at Joe West but I think mad at the selective enforcement as a lot of players are in the league um, of pitchers who are clearly cheating, they they'll they'll tell you. And this this was the post game quote from Mike Schilt. This seems like a good jumping off point for this topic. Says Major League Baseball has got a very 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 tough position here because there are people effectively and not even trying to hide, essentially flipping the bird at the league with how they're cheating in this game with concocted substances. There are players that have been monetized for it. There are players obviously doing it to their glove. Obviously players doing it, going to their glove. There's clearly video of it. You can tell the pitchers who are doing it because they don't want to go to their mouth. I'm speaking up for the hitters that have a living to make facing stuff that's really, really good, and you can see based on spin rates how guys' careers are jumping off the charts. Just putting it out there in completely plain English, pitchers are cheating. Um, He didn't say none of his pitchers are cheating. I think that was interesting, too. Didn't say, hey, all of our guys are clean. And I think, you know, when you read some of the other stuff about this, you see that some hitters aren't really mad about a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They understand there's that's been going on in the game for years, for decades, for centuries even, you know, the spitballs of, of yesteryear, things like that. But when there's like specialty concoctions being made to doctor up the ball, when there's pitches that are deeming deemed to be unhittable, when the ball when pitchers don't know when the ball's going and it's hitting batters, um, apparently at, uh, at, at at record rates, that's where they get upset. thought this was interesting. Twins hitter, uh, third baseman Josh Donaldson, right in the middle of it all as well. A tweet uh, back and forth with, uh, with Dallas Braden, former Major League pitcher, who is complaining about the inconsistent enforcement of this um, based on this incident with the Cardinals and the White Sox. Said, Donaldson tweeted, crazy idea here, but I'm going to throw it out there. Stop cheating. And later on, he tweeted um, his agreement with Dallas Braden about the whole subject, saying, I have an entire catalog of video of these guys cheating. It's coming out. Wow. Is Josh Donaldson going to blow the whole blow the lid off this whole thing? I hope so. Big picture, bottom line, is uh, 
this is a problem for baseball. If you thought the the steroid era and all the other things were were a big deal, I mean this 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 is right up there. If if you're seeing an era with very little offense, with you know low low batting averages, like record low batting averages, no balls being put in play because you know these these pitches are unhittable, but they have no idea where they're going, so it's either a walk or a strikeout. Uh, baseball is going to have to crack down on this at some point, um, not just selective enforcement, but across the board enforcement, because if it's that wide open, if it's that in plain sight that players are saying this is happening, managers saying, yeah, this is this is a big problem in the league. We can see it. You don't need a, you know, a, a telescope. You don't need a special code. You don't need to bang on a garbage can. These guys are just flat out cheating the game. Uh, yeah, they're going to have to fix this problem real quick. And I hope I hope I want to see the video evidence from Josh Donaldson. I want him to put out a compilation on his Bringer of Rain account on Twitter because that would be fantastic. And speaking really quick of filthy stuff, by the way, in a good way, uh, Joan Duran, Twins pitcher, 100 miles an hour on the gun for St. Paul on Thursday in a very impressive start. This is a guy that could be uh, could be pitching for the Twins very soon. He's got a good pitch mix. He's got a splinker, they call it, uh, kind of a mix between a split-finger fastball and a sinker. That pitch has still got plenty of velocity on it. They're hoping he can develop his curveball a little bit more, become a three-pitch pitcher, but he could help this team right now. He had a little bit of arm problem to start the year, was down in Fort Myers rehabbing it, but he's back up with St. Paul now, AAA. We'll see uh, We'll see if he's going to provide some, provide some much-needed help for this pitching staff at some point very, very soon. Enjoy your money your way when you switch to Royal Credit Union. You can pay friends and family for free, deposit checks on the go, and even get alerts about your accounts sent in real time. Stop in and open your account today or get started at rcu.org slash your way. Insured by NCUA. Really excited to be joined today on Daily Delivery by Wes Walls. Does great work on TV right now with Valley Sports North. You might remember him even more for 18 years ago. Wes, that doesn't make me feel any younger, um, nor does the fact that your daughter is getting married on Friday. But um, your, your great work with the Wild and in the playoffs, especially in 2003. Um, well, first of all, Wes, welcome to Daily Delivery. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to to doing the podcast with you. Good to hear that. And let, let's let's go into before we get too deep into the history and you know just two game sevens and that that great run you guys had in 2003. I want to ask you a little bit about this year's team. You've seen it so much this year. You know expectations going into this season. I think at least externally were not terribly high. How did we, what, what's your roadmap for how we got from, you know, a team that maybe makes the playoffs at the start of the year to convincingly making the playoffs and now being in this position, playing a game seven against a very good team? Well, first of all, uh, Mike, I mean, there were so many unknowns coming into the season, right? <clears throat> we signed Cam Talbot, uh, Billy Guerin went out and, and, you know, recognized we needed to upgrade our goaltending situation if we wanted to have any chance to compete. And, um, uh, that's been a home run. Uh, that, that's number one. Um, Kirill Kaprizov, we got this Russian kid coming in. You know, he's lighting up the KHL, playing on a bigger ice surface over there. Can he come over here and do what he's been doing over in the KHL? I mean, everybody understands that it has played. It's, uh, it, it usually takes an adjustment period. I don't care if you're 24 years old and you've played a few years in the KHL. The KHL is in the National Hockey League. Um, passed with, uh, you know, flying colors, obviously. Um, you know, Matt Zuccarello, you know, could he recover from the injuries that he had last year? He's been, he's been awesome. Uh, you know, the subtraction of Miko Koivu and, 
and um, and Eric Stahl at centerman, you know, you knew that was going to give more ice time to some of the younger guys like Eric Snack and Greenway, where they are going to be able to take those extra four or five minutes a game. And uh, was it going to be better than what we had before? The answer is yes. You know, um, just thinking back, Mike, too, you know, uh, the Rossi kid, Marco Rossi, we weren't sure, you know, if he was going to make the team or not. That's the only real unknown that kind of blew up on us. Obviously, had to go back, got COVID and had some complications from that, but had to go home. So I mentioned five things right there going into the seasons that were unknowns. And every one of them have been home runs, all of them, uh, out of the four or the five. So that's been a big reason why we've had the success we've had this year. Um, I, I always go back to goaltending. I, I just always do. I mean, we'll talk, Michael, about all the other stuff, the power play, penalty kill, and, and make it sound as interesting as we can on the broadcast, but it still comes down to goaltending. Um, you know, we, <clears throat> if Cam Talbot doesn't steal game five and play like he does in the second period, this what we're talking about has a complete different flavor. Maybe we talk about how the Wild can't step up in big games and, and they lose, lose the series four games to one, and it's a completely different ball game because Cam Talbot does what he does in game two uh, or in game five during the second period. Now we're talking about uh, the heart and resiliency of this team and having an opportunity to win a game seven. It's, it's, it's all goaltending. It just really, really is. And Cam's been great for our organization. And it sounds, you know, again, with, without COVID, you're not around the locker room. So you have never had, I haven't had a chance to meet Cam, but you can tell the guys love playing in front of them. And uh, we got a crack at it. Game seven is going to be unbelievable. I'm glad you mentioned Cam Tal because I feel like we're almost taking him for granted at this point. Um, maybe you're not, uh, I, I, but just in terms of just overall, when when he's been so good, you kind of forget how how I mean a guy doesn't have to throw you know have a shutout every game. He's had two of them in the playoffs already, but just the steadiness of of how he's probably calmed things down this year. And he had, they had the run where Kakinen played really well during the regular season too, like the goaltending has been a major upgrade. But in these playoffs, you're right. You, you forget how the narrative can change and you might not play particularly well in one game. But when one thing does go your way, like the goaltending, it totally changes the narrative of a series and, and it gets you to this point. So that's I like I like the way you frame that with, with Cam Talbot. And it, we couldn't have imagined how much of an upgrade he could have been. Could, could we? It just he, his, his track record was good. But he, he he feels like he's a step above what I might have expected this year. Oh, me too. I would agree with that 100. percent Actually, I have a lot of family in Calgary. Um, that's where I was born and raised. So you know, Cam was there. So I asked a lot of my friends and stuff, and they didn't like the move. To be perfectly honest with you, so I wasn't sure what we were getting. Um, obviously, the the organization did their their due diligence with analytics and his ability to stop the first shot. Um, and, and the Wild's ability to really keep a lot of things to the outside. I mean, just think about what he's had to deal with in Calgary and Edmonton, giving up three-on-twos and two-on-ones and breakaways. You come to, you come to Minnesota and all of a sudden you see a, you see a two-on-one a week. Um, you know, when he was in Edmonton there, he was getting a couple of those a, a, couple of those a game. So it's been an amazing upgrade, and it was something, obviously, that, that Billy Guerin figured that he had to take care of. And uh, it's been uh, – it's been remarkable and uh, hopefully he can keep it going. The other thing I mentioned there too, I mean, he just cam keeps himself in unbelievable shape and uh, listening to some of his interviews. Uh, I watched the whole beyond the wild uh, um, interview with cam Talbot. One thing that really stood out to me was remarkable because it, it kind of hit me with my own career and recognizing as I got into my thirties and got here with the Minnesota wild, how hard I had to work as I got older. You don't really always understand it. 
when you're younger. And, and he had mentioned about him being a little overweight when he came into the league um, and, and watching Hen- Henry Henrik Lundqvist go about his business being his backup. And he couldn't believe how hard he worked out. And now he, what he's learned playing behind Henrik Lundqvist, he's doing later in his career to be able to prolong his career. Now a guy like Kapo Kakinen is watching Cam Talbot going about his business. And, uh, you know, I watched a Zoom call with Capo, and Capo's talking about, geez, I can't believe how hard he works out after games. He goes, I would be so sore. It would be hard for me to compete in games because he works so hard. But to be perfectly honest with you, Mike, um, if Cam Talbot's not in amazing shape and take care of himself, I don't think he does what he does in the second period, getting bombarded with uh, 22 shots and basically having to be in the crouch in a, in a catcher's position for 25 minutes straight. And his ability just even to be in great shape and bounce back and play the way he did in game in the third period in that game. And then even in, in game six, when he came in here and pitched a shutout last night. So there's a lot of things to like about what Cam has brought to the table. Analytics obviously told management that was a good fit for our team. And it, ha- and it definitely has been. And the fact that we got him locked in, you know, for another two years beyond this, and, and he takes great care of himself. So our goaltending situation looks to be, like it's in a really good spot, at least for the next couple, three years. Obviously, he will be a key to Game 7 Friday night. What else is on your mind as, as the Wild goes back to Vegas? Obviously, momentum seems to be a thing that gets talked about a lot. I'd like your your thoughts on, you know, as a player, how much does momentum carry over from game to game? How much of momentum is, you know, belief versus, you know, what happens in the first five minutes of a game, things like that. What, what are you looking for in this game that says, you know, I think the wild has a chance or look out if this happens. Uh, and I don't like their chances if this happens. Well, I'm more of a momentum guy, you know, from game to game, you know, inside the game. Uh, I, I, I have a big, I feel more like that's more powerful from than it is actually from game to game. Cause I think the professional athlete, has such an ability to just put stuff behind them and get ready for the next game. And that's what allows us to be professional athletes is just to be able to block stuff out and say, they listen today, we got to perform. But I think this is different. I really do. I I think um, when you're up three games to one, especially Michael, because you've got home ice and you had a chance to close out the wild in your own building and couldn't get it done. Now that it's momentum and uh, starts creeping into your, you know, the bad thoughts can, can start creeping into your mind. And let's not forget the Vegas Golden Knights who have been unbelievable in their four years of existence um, or five years of existence. Let's not forget a couple of years ago, they were up three games to one to the San Jose Sharks too. So they've got, they've got some scar tissue. They got to try to work through uh, themselves. So um, I, I do think it matters. I, I think the pressure is all on Vegas. They're the team that was supposed to beat us. Um, I don't think any of the pundits really gave the Wild a chance to beat Vegas. I mean, they we, nationally you would hear that the Wild are having a really, really good team, and it's a nice little thing they got going out there. But anything that I listened to before the playoffs start, Mark, Michael was all just talking about Colorado and Vegas and how great a series is that that is going to be. And um, fortunately for the Wild, we have a, we have a chance to um to to change the script for some of the pundits but um it's going to be like i said it's going to be an amazing evening you played in you know two exact series almost like this in 2003 if we might travel back in in time a little bit you know two different series and in that you know colorado back in 2003 had patrick waugh that you're trying to solve you know an all-time great goalie those were very tight checking games i think after game one no team scored more than three goals 
in any game, just kind of looking back on it. And, you know, goals were very hard to come by. But, you know, in both cases, the Wild won a game on the road. I think, I think I, if, I'm, if memory serves, and lost both of their home games and then suddenly get some momentum back by winning a game five on the road, snowballs a bit by winning game six, and then you go into a game seven. I, I guess first off, um, wh- what do you, based on that, wh- what do you remember from, from that time and, and was momentum building in each series in, in a certain way and belief building in a certain way? I mean, obviously, we were feeling great about our game going into Colorado um, for game seven. We had beat them in overtime. Richard Park scored in overtime. So there was a, there was a lot of momentum. And, and honestly, because we played the next night, we didn't, you saw the celebration on the ice and in the building, everything going crazy. But when we went back in the locker room, I'll never forget. Like, I don't even think the music went on in the locker room because we just wanted to get on the plane and get the heck out of there as quick as we possibly could, especially because the airport in, in Denver is about an hour drive. <laughs> it's so far away from downtown that we wanted to make sure that we got out of there as quick as we can. But of all the seven games we, we played in that series, that game that we played in game seven uh, was by far the worst game that we played in the series, by far. Um, uh, Manny Fernandez stole that game for us. Uh, I believe he made 43. So I think the shots were 43 to, to 23. Very similar situation to what the Wild did, you know, Vegas getting out shot 40 to 16. And it just took me back to, you know, I remember before the series started and, and really any time – you're a little bit overmatched as far as talent wise. There's going to be one game during a series that you're just going to need your goalie to steal a game. You just have to. And for us in 03, Michael, it was game seven. And uh, for the wild, hopefully it's only game five and the wild play a better game than we did in game seven. And uh, um, you know, you just don't, you don't want to let your teammates down and, and you just, you want to make sure you're checking smart. Don't take any silly penalties because you just know, you're going to be playing in a one goal game. But again, I keep going back uh, to the pressure on the team that was up 3 1. We never, in 03, we never felt any pressure. I mean, no one gave us a chance to win a game. I don't think, I, I don't, I mean, it was 18 years ago. I don't remember anybody thinking that. I mean, you know, a few people thought we might win one game in the series. I never saw anyone, you know, pick us uh, losing even in six games. Uh, so the pressure was all on them, all of it. And you could feel it as the, as the series went on, especially as we rolled into game seven. And fortunately we were, we were able to, uh, to score an overtime and, and even the overtime goal that Bruno scored, I think he scored about three and a half minutes into the, into the overtime. I'm not kidding you, uh, Michael. I think we played three of the first three and a half minutes of the overtime in, in our own zone. You know, we did a great job keeping everything to the outside because that's kind of what we did. We battled hard. We were able to get the puck out of the zone, and Andrew made a play, um, just much like Kevin Fiala did um, in in the game in Game Six. You know, made a big play on the power play to score a goal, and made a huge play on a on a nice pass under Cody Glass's stick on Ryan Hartman's uh, tape. So you need your big players to make big plays, and you need your goaltenders step up, and uh, that's what Manny did. The game in Vancouver was different. I was actually at that one. I was kind of part of the coverage team as we ramped up a little bit. F- games five and six were kind of blowouts. Um, you yeah. guys, I think it was like, I can't remember the exact score. I feel like it was 5-1 and 7-2, something like that. Like, you you know, Dan, Dan Cloutier, um, no, no offense to Dan Cloutier, he wasn't Patrick Waugh. But uh, you got to, uh, you got to uh, game seven, you got down 2 nothing in that game. You got kind of a, a little bit of a fluky goal from Pasquale Dupuis if I'm not mistaken, to get it within 2-1. You score the tying goal, I think, in 
in uh, in the third period of of that game seven. If memory serves, was that a, was that a kind of a, a failed two on one where you tried to pass and it came right back to you, or what what exactly happened on that play? Yeah, um, it was. I mean, you can't even make it up. Game five and game six. You're right. We beat we beat them in their building seven two, and then we came back and spanked them at home five one. Um, and Todd Bertuzzi, you know, had been barking about, you know, wild fans and, you know, we ain't coming back for game six. So Todd Bertuzzi had not scored a goal. I don't know if uh, a lot of people know this, but I'll share a little story with you. that's unbelievable. Um, so he had been barking after game five. And, and honestly, that was before social media, but we, we ended up finding out in our locker room and we used it. Trust me. Uh, in game seven, you're right. We were down to nothing. And who scored the uh, goal um, to make it to nothing? It was his first goal of the series was Todd Bertuzzi. And I was on the bench and he skated by our bench. Obviously the crowd's going crazy in Vancouver. And I was sitting, I always sat on the far side of the bench closest to Vancouver's bench. And I know what I heard. And Jimmy Dowd was sitting three or four uh, people down from me. He said, he said something about golf clubs. I don't know exactly what he said, but I heard golf clubs. You can't make it up. <laughs> and I, and I, I remember leaning forward. Okay. So there was like five minutes left in the second period or somewhere down to nothing. I looked over, I just leaned forward and I go, Jimmy, did he, did he say what I thought I said? And he just said, yep. <laughs> I just shook my head. I go, this guy doesn't get it. So anyway, and you talked about big goals and getting a break. Uh, there was a play behind the net with about a minute left in the second period. Uh, two sticks came together, puck squirts up and comes out over top of uh, Cloutier's shoulder and Pascal Dupuy pounds it up. Pounds it out of the air. And I mean, pounds it like that would have been in the gap. And that would have been a free bagger for sure. He hit it so hard and we were on the bench. So think about how excited we were to get, we had a tough time scoring goals, right? And we may have had 14 shots after almost two periods. That's how good defensively they were playing. So for us to get that goal from Pascal to get into the locker room, giving us a chance and, uh, you know, I think I scored with about seven. I think there was probably eight or nine minutes left. It was a broken play on a kind of a three on two. I tried to hit someone on the back door and the puck hit a skate and, and Clucci had reacted to my pass and it came right back to me. I didn't have to pull it from my backhand to my forehand. Nothing. It was like the hockey gods were with us. And I just pounded it into the empty net and we got ourselves a tie ball game. And, and then the Vancouver Canucks were a very, very undisciplined team in that series and uh, much more undisciplined than the Colorado Avalanche were. And they took a silly penalty uh, in, the, in the, you know, in, I think late in the game too. And uh, um, Darby Hendrickson was able to score the goal maybe four or five minutes after that. I think we scored 14 power play goals in in both series. Like I mean, we had seven in both game in series. Like it was amazing. It was a big reason Cliff Ronning was a huge part of our team. And you know, once we picked up Cliff Ronning, our power play went to another level. So. Um, yeah, the Todd Bertuzzi story, the old golf clubs couldn't believe what I heard. And I don't share that with many people, but I did right here. It was, it was comical. comical. <laughs> that, that's amazing. I got two more things for you before yeah. we, we go. I really enjoyed this conversation with you, Wes. Um, one is everybody talks about the elevated nature of the playoffs versus the regular season. Does does game seven crank it up that much higher or has, is, is it a different feeling because both teams know, you know, is it tentative because both teams know that it's an elimination game? What's the what's the feel, I guess, in terms of intensity level? Um, I don't think the intensity level gets ramped up any higher than than any other game in the series. The one thing I did notice in game six, and I, I don't know if you noticed it too, Michael, is just the game was not as physical uh, game six as we had seen the first five games. Both teams basically beating each other up. 
Uh, I think there's more hits in the first five games than any other series that, that was out there. Although in Vegas, I think everybody starts with five hits before the game starts. So <laughs> right. That could be a whole nother scenario. But uh, and in Minnesota, you start minus five. But yeah, that's how it works. But, <laughs> um, but I, I don't really think it ramps up more. I, I just think uh, honestly, the smartest team is has the best chance to win. Uh, the, the intensity level doesn't go up any higher. You need a you need a couple breaks. For me, the goaltender that plays the best their team is going to advance. It's really not more complicated than that. We need you obviously getting a few, few breaks around the net are, are very, very important. And one thing that's going to be interesting to watch for me is if you're Pete DeBoer, Mike, what do you do? I'm going to ask you a question. What do you do? You've got a 37 year old goalie uh, that you're watching just like a manager. If you're managing a baseball game and you know, you know, your pitchers on fumes right now, you know, he gave up three, he gave up four at empty netter in game six or game five. Now he gave up three on 20 shots. Do you, and you've got an, it would be different if you had a backup goalie, but you've got Robin Leonard. They've got the best one, two punch in the NHL. They've been alternating all season long. What do you do if you're Pete DeBoer? I think you've got to go flurry in game seven still, but maybe have a pretty short leash, like a two goal leash. Not a, you, know, you don't usually see a goalie get pulled after two, but I, I yeah. could see. I can see if, if it gets to nothing quick. Uh, if you mean like a leash so short you like you can't even see it that short of a leash? Kind of. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's 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 an all-timer, right? He's he's yeah. an all-time great goalie. He's done this in the playoffs. He's won cups with Pittsburgh. Um, I think he's your guy until you know, but you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like game 7 in a in a in a baseball series where you're going to see you're going to put your best pitcher out there to start, but your starter might not go seven. He might go three or four. It's first yeah. sign of trouble kind of thing. You take him out. Yeah. I, I would, I would agree with that. I'm not sure you let, I, I don't, I think you have a conversation with everybody, the both goalies and you sit down and you talk about your game plan for game seven. And, and I don't not sure. I'm not sure you, if you're Pete DeBoer, you let him get to two. And if really? he gives up one in the first five shots, um, you know, that's just, how it goes so I, I don't know interesting that's a, conversation that's a, moment, that's a momentum I mean, he's to make some tough decisions during this uh, i mean the, the called goal back last night you know that was a swing and a miss i don't, I, I wonder if was, i was talking to anthony lapanta after the uh broadcast last night and i was thinking to myself obviously he he decided to challenge and one of the reasons why he might have decided to challenge obviously there were still 11 minutes left in the game but he might have looked at our power play being 0 for 8 um and their penalty kill being the top of the league too and thinking to themselves, you know what, even if we do a challenge, I mean, we get the kill, we still got nine minutes left. So, but that backfired on them, obviously, but a lot of interesting, uh, um, you know, scenarios and different scripts and for this series, yeah. it's been fun. It sure has. Um, yeah. And one more thing about that. I think it's easier to go from, it's easier to pull uh, Flurry and go to Leonard than it is to start with Leonard. And if he's bad, go to Flurry. I feel like it's an easier switch at that point and it can be a momentum play but we'll see it, it is an interesting dilemma no yeah. doubt cam talbot will be in net for the wild i would imagine La last question for you um as you look at this wild roster you had a huge run in that 03 playoffs i think you had 10 points against vancouver i can't remember how many you finished with in the whole playoffs but is there a player on this wild roster that reminds you of 2003 west walls well if i had to say one guy i mean i would i would obviously say erickson Eck just because he's playing against the other team's best players and he's scoring. Um, he, you know, that got a little power play time. You know, he's got a little bit more power play time. I never played the power play ever. Right. So, uh, 
that was one thing I would under Jock, I would have loved, uh, you know, I think I would have had no problem probably getting to 25 goals every year if I ever got that opportunity. But I think Jock was so scared uh, because I was a big, like I was a scorer in junior and I was a big scorer. And I, I think he was so scared to, to throw me a bone that he thought that I'd forget about my defensive <laughs> reasons. So now that I'm older, I understand his thought process. And, and who knows, maybe Dean thinks the same thing about Erickson. If all of a sudden, if you start thinking you're this big scorer that you don't uh, put as much emphasis on defending, but so if I had to pick one guy, it would probably be Erickson. I like it. You're a little shorter than him, but I, I like the comparison from, from game wise. Yeah. Anyway, Wes Walls, great talking to you today. Looking forward to game seven on Friday night. Uh, and, uh, you know, good luck with a busy, busy time for you. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. Let's end with the cooler. Stop me. If you've heard this before, Jimmy Butler's team seems to be falling apart. The heat on the verge of being eliminated in the first round by the Bucks. Now, this was never going to be an easy series, but blown out for the second game in a row, 3-0 lead for the Bucks in that series. This one in Miami. If you were thinking, hey, maybe the Heat will rebound, maybe they'll get to get back into this series, uh-uh. Got blown out again Thursday night. Jimmy Butler's not had a great series. His teammates have been almost as bad, maybe even worse. Wonder what's going on with this team, because there was some some whispers, some some talk of, you know, I think in April, uh, a month ago, uh, some issues between Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra, the head coach, some animated conversations. Imagine that. Surprise, surprise. We've never seen Jimmy Butler have a hard time with teammates or coaches before. Going to be an interesting offseason because Jimmy Butler has uh, the rest of his contract. He's got next season, and then he's got an opt a player option in his contract the year after that. Is this getting messy? Is this getting unfortunate here in Miami is there going to be have to be some player movement with Jimmy Butler again could he be going to his fifth team since 2017 he was with the Bulls at the end of that year then of course went to the Wolves that didn't last very long traded to Philadelphia and then Miami could he be moving on maybe the Knicks I can say that the Knicks can't the Knicks I'm sure Tom Thibodeau reunion with Jimmy Butler give them some star power Anyway, probably not fair to speculate too far while both of those teams are still in the postseason. Just thought it was interesting that Jimmy Butler is once again having problems with his team and uh, they're underachieving in this year's postseason. That'll do it for today. Remember, Wild Game 7 tonight, like you would forget that, 8 p.m. No show on Monday, Memorial Day weekend. Going to take three days here and enjoy it. Hope you guys do too. We'll be back here at it again on Tuesday with tons of great shows next week. Thanks for listening to Daily Delivery, and we'll catch you again then. 